Brothers and sisters, our text is Malachi 3, the verses 6 through 12. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are, yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty." Just so you know, brothers and sisters, this sermon I preached last Sunday morning in Providence. I think you noticed that I've been preaching through the Minor Prophets last week, uh, last year. So I did not pick this sermon specially for you. It's just my most recent sermon. You'll see why I say that. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as a child, I loved robbers. Robin Hood, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, we acted that out as kids with bows and arrows. Unlucky was the boy who was Prince John, of course. Alibaba and the 40 thieves, oh, you wish you could stand there by the cave yourself and find those, those riches. As a kid, cops and robbers, ah, that's, that's a lot of fun. But in real life, there's nothing fun about robbery. My previous congregation, I had a young lady in catechism class. She was a bank teller, and she was held up in the bank at gunpoint, and she was telling us that in catechism class, and she was trembling. Now, out of natural curiosity, I said, so the gun was pointed at you? Yes, she said. So was it a revolver or an automatic? And she looked at me as if I lost it, as if she could care what kind of gun. It was a gun pointed at her. She was terrified, and it was a, a traumatic experience for her. A number of years back, my brother, when he was studying somewhere in the States, he and his buddy were held up at gunpoint, and the buddy was thoroughly pistol-whipped. They were robbed. And when my brother phoned me, he broke down, and he said, these guys with their guns, they couldn't care less if they would shoot us or not. Give us your wallet, or we will kill you. Robbery is a horrible thing. Robbery, by definition, is taking something from another person by violence or threat, intimidation. There's other ways of stealing. You could just have theft, break an entry, pickpockets, and so on. And if I had my preference, I'd rather be, have my stuff taken by a thief than by a robber because I don't like violence. I don't like getting beat up or having a gun pointed at my head. But either way, whether it's robbery or theft, it's terrible. 
to have what belongs to you stolen. You know it if your car has been broken into, if your house has had a break and entry, and they steal family heirlooms, they steal what's precious to you. It is a, a terrible violation. And no matter how, how something is stolen, it's wrong in every form. You know that very recently, Lord Conrad Black was kicked out of prison in, in Florida, and he went to court in Chicago. Conrad Black, he is, he's a lord, he's a, a media baron, and he's married to Barbara Emile, a well-known McLean's columnist. But he's also a thief. He stole tens of millions of dollars from shareholders, and for that he went to prison. As far as I'm concerned, he can spend another 10 years there. You steal money from widows, widowers, from pensioners. You steal people's money, you pay the price. Theft, robbery is a terrible thing. You know full well that if a member of the congregation was a robber, he would not be allowed to attend the Lord's Supper, and he would be told you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And they should be punished, both to pay for the crime and to teach other people that crime does not pay. Now, with this in mind, it comes as a bit of a shock when we read in our text this morning that the Lord says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? So God is saying to his own people, to the church, you got robbers. In fact, in this congregation, not Emmanuel, but in congregation back in Malachi's time, the Lord says, the whole nation of you is guilty of, of robbing me. Well, if you're a robber, if you rob God, you're unconverted. You cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's a very serious charge. And of course, we're wondering whether that has any application for us today. So we'll look very carefully at our text, which we summarize in this way. Return goes both ways. And by that, I mean that the Lord says, you return to me and I'll return to you. It goes both ways. Return goes both ways. We'll see the need to return to God. Return means stop the robbing. And the people's return means God's return. Now, the opening line of our text is, is powerful stuff. No Israelite would have failed to recognize exactly what God is saying, and he's getting to the heart of the relationship between God and his people. God says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Now, something's lost in the translation. Literally, God says, it is precisely because I do not change. That for that reason, you are not destroyed. That's an old message. Throughout scripture, time and again, we read that God is faithful. Even when his people are unfaithful. You wonder just how, how, how serious a matter this is. When God says, I do not change and therefore you are not destroyed. Well, the Lord shows that this is a matter that, that touches his heart very deeply. And he does that through another minor prophet, Hosea. When he says to Hosea, I want you to marry a whore. Hosea, you marry a prostitute. A woman who has never been faithful to a man in the past, and a woman who is not going to be faithful to you either. Because that will be a lesson, that will be a metaphor that shows my relationship with my people. Because sometimes I, as God, feel like I'm married to a prostitute. I love my people so much. 
I give them the forgiveness of sins. I give them everything they need for body and soul, life and death. And what do they do? They ignore me. They act like I'm not even there. They don't keep my commandments and they go after other gods. If I were not unchanging in my faithfulness, my people would have been destroyed for their actions. But I continue to go after them and I forgive them their sins. The people of Israel knew that very well. They know the same psalm that we always sing and that we always quote at every Lord's Supper, Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever, for he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And you know how that passage goes. The Lord removes our sins as far as east from west extends. Knowing that, we start to realize that the impossible becomes possible. Because the Lord is so gracious and forgiving and unchanging in his faithfulness towards his people, now the Lord can say, you return to me and I will return to you. And we wonder, is the Lord saying, presently I am not with you? Is the Lord saying, I have left you? That's exactly what our passage is saying. And the Lord has done that on more occasions. You know, in the day of the judges, when the people of Israel disobeyed God, God retracted himself from them. He withdrew from them. And then the, the enemy came in and pulverized Israel, punished them. And there were diseases and pestilence. Same thing with the Babylonian exile. It's because the people were not obedient to God. God sent them into 70 years of exile, complete with a destroyed temple and a destroyed Jerusalem. Now Malachi is writing about 80 years after the return from exile. So it's around 460 before the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those 80 years have not been good years. The temple's been rebuilt but it's been a time of poor crops, of famine, of, of attacks by people around. Simply the people of God not even getting along with one another. Social injustice. And God punished them. He punished them with poor crops, with a very, very poor life. Things were not going well for the people of God. Now, the tragedy is that sometimes when people live in sin, they don't even realize what they're doing, and they don't realize how God is, is moving out of their life. Now, our text is not saying God is completely gone, otherwise they'd be destroyed, but God is holding back. We wonder, could that still happen today? You know, so often when we take an Old Testament passage, we wonder how much of this is old dispensation and no longer applicable to us in the New Testament age. We we're, it might be inclined to think it no longer works this way that if you turn away from God, he will somehow punish you. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says to them, you know, you've got a horrible thing going on in your church. There's rich people who are whining and dining while there are other people who have hardly anything to eat and they're starving. And Paul says, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's a passage 
that people often struggle with because it, it sounds like it's plucked out of the Old Testament. Paul says to the Corinthians, God is punishing you. There are illnesses and problems in the congregation that are a result of how you live before the face of God. Now we want to be careful with that because the New Testament also teaches you cannot say that every time that someone gets sick, let's say if someone's diagnosed with cancer or has a heart disease, that you say, you must have sinned. Our Lord Jesus Christ condemns that. But brothers and sisters, if you do not walk close with God, the face of God turns away from you. You know, in, in this passage, we, we will talk about finances, about money. And the tragedy in our modern age is that money has become the God of our culture. God says, you shall worship no other gods. But a lot of people worship the God that is their money, their financial portfolio, their retirement, and their career. You know what, brothers and sisters, I talk to a lot of older people. I've been doing that for decades. And older people have regrets about their life. One of the regrets that I hear from, from older brothers is that they spent too much time on their career and pursuing money and did not focus enough on their family. And suddenly they're presented in their old age with a realization, I never had a wife with whom I was intimate, not just physically or sexually, but spiritually and emotionally. And my children have become strangers. They have, they've turned away from me and they've gone their own way because I never connected with them. Brothers and sisters, that's what happens when you do not walk close with God and love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. Also appreciating the career that you have, the money that you make, but focusing on loving the Lord, loving your spouse, loving your children. I mean, you pay the price. And you suffer, and you're punished for it. And you know, when you're, when you're an old person, and you're looking back, and you're telling me, this is my life, you can't, you can't change the past. Oh, it's a bitter pill to swallow. All you can do is bring this to the Lord in prayer, and still go to your wife, go to your children if they're around, and apologize. But what the Lord is making clear, still to this very day, in the words of Psalm 128, Whoever loves the Lord, fears the Lord, and walks in his ways, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. You return to me, says the Lord. I will return to you, and I will shower upon you every blessing you need for body and soul in life and in death. That brings us to our second point, where Malachi becomes more specific. So the people rise to the challenge. God has said, return to me, and they say, how are we to return? And God answers, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? And specifically, God says that the robbing consists of not giving tithes and offerings. The question that you're bound to ask is, how does withholding tithes and offerings constitute robbery? That should be an easy question for everybody to answer. It's already been dealt with in the book of Malachi when God accused the people of bringing to him inferior gifts of crippled, broken, dying animals. The point is, God created the world. 
and everything in it. The whole world and everything in it belongs to God and every human being is his guest. You owe everything to God. You're you're a guest in God's world. Every human being should understand that. But the people of Israel had an extra thing to think about. God took them out of Egypt, through the desert, into the promised land. And you know, when Israel came into the promised land, and all the pagans either were killed or they fled, what awaited them were cities built with homes, farms, vineyards, mature trees, fruit trees. Israel just moved in, and it was all theirs. It was a gift of God. And what God said from the very beginning is, now my people, I want you to acknowledge your gratitude to me for all that I have given to you by returning to me the tithe, the first 10% of what you make, and your offerings, your sacrifices in the temple, you give that to me to show you are thankful. You won't suffer. Give me 10%, I'll give you 20 more. You will not suffer whatever you give to me. I will give you plenty. But you've got to show that I'm important to you, that you're thankful for what I've done. And you do that through the tithes and the offerings. And if you don't do that, you're robbing me. Not as an act of violence, of course, but it is a a traumatic, horrible thing to say to God, is this yours? You're not getting any of it because it's mine. I'm I'm keeping it. God says that that is robbing me. And if you think about what we said in our introduction, that's stunning. For God to say to his people, you are robbing me when you do not give the tithes and the offering... That's basically saying, you're not my child. You're not living in a proper life of gratitude with me. You know, this is such a traumatic thing to say that over the years, people have said to me, Reverend, you're not allowed to say to a congregation, you are robbing God. And I said, don't you shoot the messenger, because I'm the messenger. If you've got a beef, take it up with God. But know this, God is true, God is faithful, and if he says you're robbing me, You've got to pay close attention. And it's a serious matter. Robbers cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Any more than someone living in adultery cannot inherit the kingdom of God. A robber, someone who robs God, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He is an unconverted person. Now the question is, does that have any application for us today? I'd like to inform you that tithing is never mentioned in the New Testament. The concept of the tithe is Old Testament. 10% of your income to the Lord. That's an Old Testament concept. And of course, in the Old Testament, the whole, the whole religious and, and government of, of Israel was all tied in together. So it was also like a, a taxation system. The tithe is done. But what is not done is gratitude in every aspect of your life. What still applies is that the Lord says, everything that you have is from me, and I'd like you to show your gratitude to me by taking a part of your income and giving it to the church and other important kingdom causes. In 2 Corinthians 9, which we read together, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about their generous gift to the church, to the needs of the church. And he writes, remember this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the Lord is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So while the the Old Testament concept of tithe is an Old Testament thing, what is still very clear in the New Testament is that the Lord loves a generous giver. A generous giver is someone who has gratitude in his heart. If you take an Old Testament Israelite and say say to, to him, brother, sister, what are you grateful for? The Israelite would say, I am grateful that God took me out of Egypt. I'm grateful that God gave me Canaan. And I'm grateful that in the future, my Messiah is coming. Whereas today, we say, what we have to be grateful for is the full knowledge and the reality that God so loved the world, he gave his son to die for sinners. What I know is that Jesus Christ took all my sins upon himself, died for that on the cross under the hideous punishment and justice of God so that I'm redeemed and I belong to God. And the whole world is now, is now the kingdom of God where, where I may live and work and, and breathe and live to his praise and glory. And a day is coming, it could be this week, and I will enter the new paradise where God will wipe away every tear from my eyes. I have so much for which to be, grateful, to be thankful. And the person who is thankful, and that's what Paul makes clear in 2 Corinthians 9, Everyone who rejoices in the gift of salvation will acknowledge God's goodness and love also by taking part of our material blessings, give it to the church, to the school, to mission, to Rehoboth, whatever, whatever we can to advance the church and the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Now, it should be clear, brothers and sisters, that giving to God is not just a matter of of money. Paul makes that pretty clear in 2 Corinthians 9. A Christian who lives out of thankfulness experiences a full-orbed spiritual gratitude to God. For instance, not attending the the worship services faithfully is robbing God of the worship he deserves. Not being a member of the congregation, showing loyalty and love to one another, robs God of a big, beautiful, happy family, which is the church. Not having any desire to be involved in evangelism or mission is robbing God of the glory of bringing his name out to the whole world. And not giving part of your income to the Lord is robbing God. Because you know what? The church and the school and mission needs money in order to operate. A Christian who lives in the joy of salvation... His whole life is so filled with gratitude. Money is for the Lord. Attending the worship services and studying God's word together. Being active within the communion of saints. Bringing the gospel out to the world. It's all a matter of gratitude. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be praised by us in every way possible. Every way possible. And that the light may shine in darkness. Brothers and sisters, the question that we have to ask ourselves 
is are we a people filled with gratitude and are we cheerful givers of what we have to the Lord? Now, I have no idea about the financial situation here in Emmanuel, and it's not my business either. But over the years, I have seen in my own congregations people who give nothing, who give very little, people who may be going out for dinner, going on vacations, have a nice trailer to pull out for their holidays. And there's nothing or very little given to the church and to other kingdom causes. Brothers and sisters, that is robbing God. And to rob God means you're not living in a proper relationship with him. God says, return to me. Change. Bring it in. Not just the money, but your whole life. Bring it in in joy and thanksgiving to me that we may again have a good relationship and I may bless you. The Lord warns in our text, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. So back in Malachi's day, the Lord was not just isolating a few people in the congregation, but he was saying the congregation as a whole was not living in faithfulness before him. We have to realize, too, brothers and sisters, that we have a corporate responsibility as congregation. It's very important that we evaluate ourselves as a congregation to see what's important and where we are in our relationship with God. It's very easy in a, in a, in a church community to try to devise all kinds of ways to build up the spirit and cohesion in a congregation. Programs for children, young people, church picnics, all kinds of activities, all of which are good. But it can be like putting a new patch on an old garment. It can be smoke and mirrors. Because all those things mean nothing. It's all superficial. If the very basis is not there. As a congregation that we as a body together love to sit under the preaching of God's word. To learn everything we can about God's faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ, and that as a congregation we respond in every possible way, as a communion of saints, involvement in mission, in school, and in church contributions, that together we say, Lord, we are so grateful. We open our hearts, we open our lives, and we open up our wallets to you. Here's a piece of advice, brothers and sisters, especially for families, for husbands and wives who have children. You can do a huge blessing to your children to teach them at a young age when they have an income, even allowance, to learn to to give a part of it, to put it in the collection bag or ask for envelopes to give it to the Lord, to teach your children from a young age about the relationship we have with God and how it's to be a matter of gratitude and something we do spontaneously and want to do our whole life long. And if you think that I'm sounding like a tele-evangelist who's got his hand in your pocket, pulling out your wallet, shame on you. You know what? If you don't want to give your money, if you don't want to serve the Lord in that way, congregation will still flourish without you. There are enough people who give generously that congregations do flourish. But where does that leave you? Your hand on your wallet, tight in your pocket, 
withdrawing from activities in church life and school and mission, where does that leave you? In your relationship with God. When God says, are you robbing me? Can you stand before me and say the blood of Jesus means everything and then you rob me? Think about these things. Pray about it and change. And that brings us to our our concluding remark. You know, sometimes people say, I'd love to give. I haven't got it. I've seen young couples struggling with mortgage payments, paying off their debts, their, their, their education debts, saying there's nothing left over for the Lord. I've got to pay all these debts and nothing left over. That's not right, brothers and sisters. You first give to the Lord. Look at what the Lord says in our text. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And so he continues. Now we ought to be careful with that. We, we're not saying that someone could test God and say, okay, I'll throw my whole paycheck into the church contribution. Let's see what God does. That's not the kind of testing he's talking about. Just be normal. Love God. Adore the Lord your God. Give your life to him. And even in the difficult financial times, give of the first fruits to the Lord and see how richly he will bless you. Sometimes you see it in the congregation. The youngest couple, they don't own their own home yet. They're living in this little basement apartment. They drive the oldest clunker in the congregation. But they're joyful Christians. Give to the Lord. These are just the people whose old clunker keeps on clunking along, driving along just fine. The Lord always takes care and blesses those who love him and give to him. And indeed, the blessings of the Lord are more than just simply material or or financial blessings. What God gives to those who love him and adore him is the forgiveness of sins. Being born again so that more and more we turn away from sin and live to his praise and glory. He carries us through the trials and tribulations of life. And he fills us with the hope of a new and a better day. But every tear will be wiped away from our eyes and we will dwell with God in perfect harmony forever. Amen.